good morning to each and every one of you. It is so good to see you today. And if you're joining us online, a special welcome to you. If I haven't had the chance to meet you yet, my name is Michael and I'm one of the pastors on staff here. And uh, I wanted to start off just really quick sharing with you a story. How many of you are fishermen or fisherwomen? Anybody in here fishermen or fisherwomen? All right, several of you guys are. Um, the rest of us are not. Um, but I wanted to share with you a, a really quick fishing story. And I, uh, I don't really fish as an adult, but as a kid, I would go fishing with my dad. Now, um, uh, so I haven't really been fishing. This isn't even my fishing pole. This is a friend of mine. This isn't even really my tackle box. I had to borrow this from someone else. Um, and so that's how much of a fisherman I am. But what I've learned is that fishing is easy. It's, it's simple. All you need is a rod and a reel and a bait um, and a hook, and you can go fishing. Now, this is probably about the size of the fish that I normally catch right here. <laughs> on the end of this pole. But I want to share a story with you. My dad, when we were younger, he would take my brother and I fishing. And some friends of ours owned some land and they would have, they had several ponds on the land and uh, several boats out on the ponds. And so we would go out fishing, my dad and my brother and I. And I remember one of the very first times that we went my dad was explaining to us, guys, fishing is really, really simple. You just have to be able to cast your bait Just like that, you have to be able to cast your bait um, out. Let's see if I can do it this time. There we go. And then, yes. Earlier this week, I got it caught in a pew and I spent 30 minutes trying to get it undone. So if there's a rip in your pew, it's probably from me. Don't tell Pastor Dan. Um, but I remember going fishing. And so we're out there, we're on the boat. And it was one of those days where it felt like every time we were casting that we were catching a fish. Every single time that we would throw out our line that we were reeling in a fish. Now, these weren't huge fish. They were perch or crappie. Um, I, I think the largest fish I've ever caught was a walleye or a bass or something like that. But, but these were little fish. But to me, a seven-year-old, I thought these were ginormous fish and we were going to fry them later and eat them and and my dad and I we were so excited and, and my dad told me Michael the next one that we catch I'm going to let you unhook it and place it on the line now we were placing all these fish that we were catching I think it was probably about 12 or 15 we were placing them on a line next to the boat and then the fish would stay there until we were done and then we would take them off and take them home with us so so he's like you're going to put the next fish on the line and so uh, my brother or him caught the next one and they brought the fish over to my end of the boat and I, I take the hook out and, and the fish, the scales and the fins and the pokiness of it, if that's a word, were, were starting to get the best of me. And I think the fish knew what I was thinking and they could, they smelt my fear because all of a sudden it starts flipping and flopping. And so I have the rope with about 12 fish on it in one hand and I have the flippity floppity fish in my other hand and I have to make this decision. Do I let go of the rope or do I let go of flippity floppity fish? Which one do I do? And so what I love about the scriptures is this, <laughs> that all throughout scriptures, we, we see people's lives and, and what's going on in their minds and in their hearts. And we get some up close and personal 
insights into some of the people of Scripture. And, and some of the, the disciples that Jesus calls, he, he, he calls some fishermen. He calls tax collectors. He calls zealots. He calls betrayers. He calls people who are far away from God. But some of the guys that he calls were fishermen. And, and Jesus walks up to them on the Sea of Galilee one day, and they're cleaning their nets. And Jesus says to them, hey, guys, come and follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. I'll make you fishers of men. You've been fishing for fish and they didn't have a rod or a reel or a tackle box. They had nets that they would cast out to try to catch these fish. But he said, if you follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. And I think the reason that Jesus uses this illustration is because fishing is extremely, extremely easy. If you have a boat and a net or a rod and a reel and some bait, you can catch fish. And church, sharing our faith Sharing our story of what God has done in our lives, sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ and that word, if you're new to faith, if you're new to the church, if you're new to Christianity, that word gospel just simply means this, good news. Sharing the gospel with people is extremely, extremely simple. But people like me, preachers, and people like you, Christians, have made it extremely, extremely complicated. And there's people in your life and in my life that we love or that we work with or that are part of our sorority or fraternity that we know and they've rejected Christianity. They've rejected Christianity, but you know what? I think they've just rejected a caricature or a distortion or a picture of Christianity because sometimes they don't even truly know what it is that they're rejecting because the church and Christians sometimes have made it so extremely complicated, but God has made it extremely, extremely simple. You see, you don't have to be able to untangle or unravel the theories of evolution and creation. You don't have to know what the pale horse and the rider means. You don't have to understand the pots or the antichrist or the symbols or the trumpets. You don't have to know any of that stuff. You don't have to know how many Johns there were and how many Marys there were and who's Joseph and which Joseph married that Mary. You don't have to know any of those things. You don't have to know if it's pronounced Malachi or Malachi, okay? You, you don't have to know that. It's extremely, extremely simple, but we've made it so complicated that sometimes people have walked away from God, they've walked away from the church, they've walked away from Christianity, because sometimes we've made it so complicated for people to get in. And here's the good news. It doesn't matter. There's not 37 different ways to become a Christian. Did you know that? It's, it, everyone gets in the same way, regardless of how old you are, how young you are, how much money you make, where you live, where you don't live, what your race is, what your background is. It doesn't matter. Any, none of those things matter. Every single person on the planet gets in with God the same exact way. And so... It's really, really simple, but we've made it complicated. And so this morning, I just want to take a few minutes because I know the Cowboys are playing at noon. Someone made me aware of that this morning. And so I was like, man, I really need to tighten it up then. Um, but they're playing the LA Rams. I mean, come on, this is a gimme game, right? Anyway, but um, so I, I just want us to take a few moments, just a couple of minutes to talk about because Jesus answers two important questions for us. He, he, he lets us know what do you need to know to become a Christian and what do you need to do to become a Christian? What do you need to know? What does a person need to know in order to become a Christian? And what does a person have to do to become a Christian? 
And so we're going to look at one of the most famous verses in all of Scripture. You've probably heard it. Some of you have it memorized. Some of you can quote it to me. You've seen it held up at football games, at baseball games, at sporting events, at graduations. You've seen it all over the place. And it's just this verse, John 3.16. It's the most simple gospel. It's the most simple verse. But again, sometimes we've made it extremely, extremely complicated. And if you're new to Scripture, the Bible's broken up into two Testaments, the Old Testament and the New Testament. We're going to be in the New Testament. It goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We're going to be in the book of John, John 3, 16. You can open up your Bibles. You can turn on your phone, get to that app, or you can just follow along with me. It'll be up on the screen. But we're going to walk through this verse together because Jesus answers the question, what do you need to know and what do you need to do to become a Christian. And so many times, sometimes, you and I, we've made it complicated because becoming a Christian doesn't mean that you attend church. Did you guys know that? You can come to church and not be a Christian. Did anybody know that? Coming to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to Taco Bell makes you a grilled stuffed burrito with guacamole and sour cream on the side. It, It just doesn't happen. You can go Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. You can watch online. You can, you can do all of those things, but that doesn't make you a Christian. Neither does getting your life or your act together or straightening up. Some people equate Christianity with behavior modification, but did you know that's not the gospel either? People think, in fact, a friend of mine, he didn't come to Christ until later on in his age and uh, until he was a grown adult. And he said, Michael, the reason I didn't follow Jesus was because all of the Christians that I knew, they they knew all the laws, all the rules. They, They followed everything and they made sure that if I wasn't following all the right rules and doing all the right things, that they had a checklist and they were checking those things off. And I just thought to myself, you know what? I just can't be that disciplined. I just can't do it. So Christianity is not about behavior modification. Christianity is not even about, you don't become a Christian by praying a prayer. Now, some of you grew up in church like I did, and you were taught, hey, if you pray this prayer, if you get your kids to pray this prayer, then they'll become a Christian. And some of you will push back on this, and that's okay. You can look it up in Scripture for yourself. But did you know, in all of Scripture, there's no instructions, there's no example of someone praying a prayer to become a Christian? And there's nothing wrong with praying a prayer. If you prayed a prayer, I prayed a prayer every time there was an altar call. Every time the altars were open, I would come and pray a prayer just in case I wasn't in that week, all right? So I, I understand that. I get that. But, but that's not what makes you a Christian either. Neither is it committing your life to God. There, there's some people that you work with and they're like, well, I'm a good person, but I just don't want to commit my life to God. I, I don't cheat on my taxes. I don't steal. I don't lie. And, and so I'm a good person. I'm going to get in, Right. But I I just don't want to commit myself to God. Christianity, the gospel, is not about committing yourself to God. It's about understanding that he's made a commitment to you. And some of you are scratching your head and you're like, Michael, are you sure? Is it really that easy? Is it really that simple? And the answer is absolutely yes. But we've made it extremely extremely complicated. So what does a person need to know right here? John 3, 16. This is the verse, the beginning of it. For God so loved the world. We're going to stop right there. For God so loved the world. Do you know what a person needs to know to become a Christian? That God loved. God wasn't mad at you. He wasn't like that lady on the Wizard of Oz that was like, ah, come here, my little pretty. How about some fire for you, scarecrow? That's God wasn't out to get you. 
God wasn't trying to, to grab you. God was, some people think God's ticked at me. God's angry at me. God's upset with me. God just wants to judge me. God's trying to get me. That's what he's trying to do. But the scripture tells us that God loves, that God loved the world. God loved you and God loved me. And just let me remind you this morning, just really quick side note, your situation and your circumstance that's happening at your job, in your marriage, with your kids, in your finances right now, it's not a reflection of how God feels about you. Did you know that? How God feels about you was demonstrated on that cross 2,000 years ago. So God loves you. Some of you just need to hear that this morning, that God loves you. For God so loved the world. So God loved the world, so God did what people who love the world do. He gave. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Do you know what a person needs to know in order to become a Christian? That God loved and that God gave. God loved and God gave. You don't have to know who the first two people were and who their boys were and how did they find wives. You don't have to know how Noah got all the dinosaurs in the ark. Some of you are really confused right now, aren't you? No, you don't have to know any of those things. All of those things are fun and, and good and they're fun to talk about and debate over, but you don't have to know any of that stuff. You just need to know God loved and God gave. Specifically, God gave his son, Jesus Christ, to take our place on the cross. The punishment that we deserve, the sin that separated us from God, was placed upon his son, Jesus. And so God gave up what was most precious to him, his one and only son. So God loved the world and God gave his son. God gave his son for you and God gave his son for me. That's all you need to know in order to become a Christian. It's that simple. So what do we have to do? What, what, what do we have to do? John goes on, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in, you can circle that word believe in. So you can circle God loved, God gave, believe in. And in the Greek, that word literally translates trust in. It means to trust in. That's why whenever I'm explaining the gospel, I like to have a chair or a stool next to me or close by. Because am I trusting in the stool now? No, I'm not. Some of you, your relationship is like this with God. And you're trusting in the stool like this. This is about as much, well, I go to church on Christmas and Easter and, and sometimes other times of the, of the year and I volunteer and, I, and, I'm a pretty, and I'll put some money in the basket when it comes by, and, and, but this is about as much as I trust in God. And, and then there's some of you and you're like this, you're, you're halfway in, right? You, you, you've got part of you that you're in and you volunteer and you serve and you give and you attend, but just in case... I've got a backup plan. If it doesn't work out or if something else better comes along, then I'm going to, I'm going to jump off the gospel track and I'm going, to rely, I'm going to rely on me instead. But this is, is trusting in the stool. It's when I put all of me on all of God. This is it. God, there is no backup plan 
I can't pray enough. I can't read my Bible enough. I can't memorize enough scriptures. I can't give enough money. I'm not powerful enough. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not good enough. There's nothing that I can bring to this relationship in order to get me right with you. In our culture, in our society, we believe that if we're good enough, if we're nice enough, and if we're not too bad, that we're in good with God. But God says, no, it's believing in, trusting in what my son did on the cross. There is nothing that you can bring to this relationship. It's all God. And so you're saying, I'm going to place my trust in you. I'm going to believe you. God, I'm going to believe that you loved me. I'm going to believe that you gave. And and I'm going to put all of me on all of you. There's no backup plan. There's no plan B There's no parachute. There's no escape clause. It's me and you, God. I believe in you. So what does a person need to know? That God loved and God gave. And what do you need to do? Believe in. And at the end of the day, you have something, John tells us. He, He says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Now, I need you to pay attention just for one second, okay? If you've been playing Candy Crush, if you're checking your fantasy football scores, if you're getting distracted, if you're counting the rocks on the wall, I need you to pull back in, all right? Focus in just for one minute, okay? Because this is an important part. Because sometimes we think, well, since I became a Christian, now I get to live forever. And here's the good news and the bad news. Everybody lives forever somewhere. Everyone lives forever somewhere. That's why Jesus came and died on the cross is because everyone lives forever somewhere, church. That's the good news and the bad news. And and don't you know, isn't it true? You and I, we we both know this. We, We know this because it doesn't matter how rich or famous you are. It doesn't matter how many likes you have, how many followers you have. Regardless of that, all of us know at the end of the day when we place our pillow on our head, our, our head on our pillow at night, when we look up at the ceiling and it's just us, at some point in time, we've probably asked this question, what's going to happen to me when I die? Isn't that an odd question? What's going to happen to you when you die? Well, come on, silly, you know that. Haven't you been to a funeral before? I mean, all of us have been to a funeral or a memorial service. We all know what happens when we die. We can go and see what happens when we die. They put a nice outfit on you. They put makeup on you and they place you in a box and they dig a hole six feet in the ground and they put you in the ground. Come on, you know what happens when you die. We all can go see what happens when we die. But isn't it true, church? Even though we know that, that doesn't satisfy our curiosity. Every single one of us know there is more to life than just this life. There's more to life than just this life. And what John is saying, what Jesus is saying here is this, you receive a brand new life, eternal life, not just someday I get to go to heaven, but life right here, right now. Now you receive God life. That's that's what we were celebrating with baptisms this morning, weren't we? That people were saying, I'm dying to my old life 
and I'm being raised up to a brand new life. They got a new worldview. They handle temptation differently. They handle sin differently. They handle their life differently. It affects their marriage. It affects their parenting. It affects their finances. Why? Because they got life. I never met a Christian before who just said, you know what? Once I got saved, I just started trying a lot harder. I just started trying harder and praying harder and getting more disciplined. You never hear anyone say that. They always say something happened inside of me. And, and I begin to change from the inside. I don't know what it was. I can't explain it. I, I don't know how to articulate it really. But I just, my, my desires became different. My, my thoughts became different. I started to change. You know what that was? You got life. You got eternal life. You got God life. So what does a person need to know in order to become a Christian? That God loved and God gave. And what does a person need to do? believe in, trust in. And, and what do you have? You can circle that word have. What do you have? You have life. You have eternal life. That's the gospel. If you want it to rhyme, you can say it this way. God loved, God gave. We believe, we receive. God loved, God gave. We believe, we receive. It's that simple, church. And so I'll answer the question that all of you are asking right now. Michael, if it's really that simple, then why is this book so big? Why is the Bible so big? I mean, Michael, have you read this thing? You get to Leviticus, and I've got to change what I eat to get in right with God. You get to Revelation, and you're like, oh, my God, no one's going to make it. We're all going to die, right? You get to Paul, and you're like, no one can understand it. I mean, this guy is confusing me. I don't understand what he's talking about. And you get to the Gospels, and you're like, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, why didn't you guys all get in a room or start a text feed and get your story straight? Because you're saying this many people showed up. You're saying that many people showed up. You're saying this many people were demon-possessed. You're saying that many. Man, which one is it? Michael, if it's that simple, why didn't God send us a three by five card? I mean, I'm losing my mind when I'm trying to read this, Michael. You see, the Bible, God didn't give us the Bible to confuse us. The, the Bible can be complicated. It can be confusing sometimes. But the Bible is a story over thousands and thousands of years of God preparing the world to show his love to show that he gave his son. To show that if you believe, then you'll receive. It's, it's the story of men and women going out with the gospel, with the good news, and saying God loved, God gave. If you believe, you'll receive eternal life. It's story after story of lives being transformed and changed. Marriages being transformed and changed. People who were far off from God being transformed and changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and maybe you're here this morning and you're a skeptic or, or you're new to church or someone promised you lunch or someone promised to introduce you to someone to get you here. I'm so glad you're here and I hope that you come back again. And maybe you have both feet on the brake. And you know what? I, I want to let you know, it's okay if you don't believe this. But I just want to let you know that God loved you and that God gave himself for you and that if you'll believe, you'll receive life. And I hope that you keep coming back and I hope you keep asking questions and I hope that you keep seeking after God because I think and I hope that eventually your heart will be open to this truth of how much God really does 
love you. But church, let's make it our goal that if people are going to reject Christianity, if they're going to reject God, if they're going to reject the church, if they're going to reject the gospel, let's make sure that they've got the right gospel and that they're not confused about all the other stuff or all the other things that can sometimes clutter what the gospel really is, how simple it really is, that God loved and God gave and we believe and will receive. I think John knew that there were going to be some of us who thought that God was mad at us or angry at us or trying to get us because in the very next verse, this is what John says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. You, you know why God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world? Because it was already condemned. I mean, you can look on the internet, you can look on social media, you can read the news, you can, you can read all of it. You know that our world is broken, that something is not right in our world. And even in us, I mean, I wake up and look in the mirror every morning and I'm like, man, things are not going in the right direction. <laughs> right? I mean, we're broken. We're, we're messed up people. We, we understand that. The, uh, Jeremiah says it this way, the heart is extremely wicked above all else. Who can know it? We, we know, we know ourselves better than anybody else. And so we don't need someone to come and tell us that we're condemned. We already know that we're broken and messed up people. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but so that the world might be saved through him. God sent Jesus, not because he was mad, but because he was concerned. God sent Jesus, not because he was angry, but because he was in love. And when people are in love, they give. That's the gospel. That's the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so the question is this, why don't we share this message with others? Why don't we tell our coworkers or our, our classmates or people that we work with or that our neighbors are, why, why don't we share? And I think some of us are intimidated. Some of us are a little scared. What if I don't have all the answers? What if they ask a question that I don't know? Hey, church, can I tell you a secret? It's okay to say, I don't know. Did you know that? It's okay. It, I don't have all the answers, Okay. There's many people in this church that have been following Jesus a lot longer than I have. They don't have all the answers. It's okay to tell someone, you know what, that's a great question. I don't know. Can I get back with you on that? Can, can I come back and talk to you about that later on? If you're really interested, can, can I come back and, and maybe we can get a coffee and talk about that? But, but church, I, I think sometimes we're, we're nervous or we're scared. And I'm going to pray for us here in a moment that we'll have boldness. Because you know what boldness is? Boldness isn't standing up here with a microphone or going to downtown Fort Worth with a bullhorn and yelling at people. That's not, that's not boldness, okay? Boldness is with your personality, with the way that God created you, you just simply living it out and then lay it out. That's all you have to do. Live it out and then lay it out. Live out what it means to be a Christian and then Lay it out whenever someone asks you a question or asks you for an explanation that, that you can say, God loved. You can write it on a napkin. God gave. If we'll trust in it, if we'll believe, then we receive eternal life. I have a friend of mine, Chris, and, and he went to his friend's house. This is boldness. 
And he's like, hey, and, and his friend is on his deathbed. He's battling cancer and it doesn't look like he's going to make it. And, and Chris just simply said, hey, can, can I just share with you one more time about God love? About God giving his self for you? And, and that if you'll believe, you'll receive eternal life. Can I share that with you? That's boldness. Boldness is another friend of mine and she went home to her parents' house and she said, hey, mom and dad, I know we don't talk about politics and I know we don't talk about religion, but can I just share with you one more time about how much God loves you? And, and I know we're not supposed to talk about it in this house, but, but can I just share that with you? Boldness is a lady last year and she said, Michael, in my company, in my organization that I work with, we're not supposed to say Merry Christmas. We're, we're supposed to say Happy Holidays. And instead of doing that with the possibility of her job being on the line, she said, Merry Christmas. That's boldness. Church, boldness is you living it out. And then when you have the chance, you're laying it out for people. It's not complicated at all. So I'm holding that fish in my hand and, and I'm holding the rope in the other hand. And that, this is why you stayed, right? Right? Okay. And, and I don't know what my seven-year-old mind was thinking, but I'm like, man, I've got to hold on to this fish that my dad caught. And so I let go of the rope. And my dad's like, no, don't let go. Right? And everything's slow motion and, and it's crazy. But all of the fish slide off of the rope. And I'm holding the one little fish in my hand that probably looked like that. And, and my dad, he gains his composure. I mean, I'm crying. My brother's laughing. I want to throw the fish at my brother. And, and my dad's upset. But, but he says, boys, it's okay. It's all right. Because fishing's easy. All you need is a rod. All you need is some bait. And you can throw it out there. And we started catching fish over again. I got a picture. I think that the, they, they put it up for me. This is me and my dad <laughs> that day that we caught fish together. I think we might have salvaged four or five fish, something like that. But church, fishing is easy. And sharing the gospel, it's not complicated. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have eternal life. Let me pray for us this morning, all right? If you'll bow your head just for a moment. And I just wanna give you the chance to maybe make a decision this morning, and maybe this is for the first time you understand the gospel. Maybe you're saying to yourself, you know what, Michael, I thought it was a lot more complicated than that. I thought I had to jump so high and crawl through these hoops and do so many things and light so many candles and say so many prayers. I thought God wanted me to do something else in order to get good with him. But church, I'm telling you this morning, it's really simple. It's just placing your trust in God. And, and I just want to give you a chance. If that's you this morning and you're just making the decision to say, Michael, I've never put all of me on all of God. And today I'm wanting to take that step. Can you just pray for me as you're closing here this morning? Would you just slip up your hand? And I'm not going to ask you to come to the front. You can put it right back down. But is there anyone? Thank you so much. I see those hands. Put it right back down. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you. In the balcony, anyone? Awesome. 
God, I, I thank you that you've made it so simple for us. God, I, I thank you that you didn't wait for us to get all of our T's crossed and all of our I's dotted. God, you, you didn't get it, wait for us to dress a certain way or to act a certain way. When we were at our lowest point, you sent your son, Jesus. And God, for those who raised their hand this morning to say, I want to put my trust in the God who loves me. God, I pray that you would meet them right where they're at. Remind them that there's no sin. There's no thing that can separate them from your love. And that you love them just where they are right now. God, I pray that they would sense that overwhelming love even this morning. There's no judgment. There's no condemnation. There's only love and your grace and your mercy. So thank you for that, God. And Lord, I pray for each and every other person who's a follower of Jesus that's here this morning. God, I pray that you would give us the opportunity, even this week, to live it out. And then when we have the chance, to lay it out. To live it out and then to lay it out. It, with our own personality, in our own way, God, Give us the boldness to share with those around us. God, thank you so much for your amazing, unfailing, undeserving love that you've given to us. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.